is. So what does Judaism say about? Where we discuss all kinds of topics of life and how Judaism relates to them. Today we're going to discuss, so what does Judaism say about pleasure? I'm Rabbi Rick Fox. With me as always is the glowing Rabbi Mayor Beer. Rabbi Beer, how are you doing today? Fantastic. You really are glowing. <laughs> I want to talk about pleasure. And I think one reason, one reason only. I think there's an idea that Judaism, certainly practical, practiced, observant Judaism, is full of restrictions and de-emphasizes sort of the concept of, of, of pleasure. And I have a quote here just, just to share from Rabbi Dr. Moshe David Tendler, who, as you know, was Rabbi Moshe Feinstein's son-in-law and, and a noted biologist, a biology professor at uh, Yeshiva University, and, and, and a real academic and, and, a, and a real Talmudist. And he says like this, the most dramatic paradoxical texture of Judaism is the balance of asceticism and luxury, of sublimity and pleasure. People are always trying to ticket our faith as merely restrictive or merely worldly. Judaism's at-homeness in the here and now and also in the disciplined service of God offers a balanced way of life that is unique. So this word you used of balance is something which is at the core of Judaism's perspective on physical pleasure. When we mean physical pleasure, we're not in this case talking about, I assume if I'm understanding you correctly, the pleasure that one gets from intellectual stimu- being, stimulation or, or, or performing good deeds. But right. Those interactions are experiences. with the physical pleasure of this world. Right. And the five senses. Sensual yeah. Sensual, Sensuality. Yeah. So the Talmud writes in Tractate Sanhedrin, uh, page 70a, that wine, wine is a mind-altering substance, alcohol, was created to console mourners, which is a strong way of saying it helps people when they're down, and was also created to reward sinners, meaning that people misuse it instead of using it as a tool to help them in a bad mood, but people overdo it. Alcohol is the most abused drug on the planet, always has been. The Talmud writes that if a person is proper in his partaking of alcohol, Zacha, if he merits Nasarosh, he becomes a head, meaning he dominates the situation. However, Lo Zacha, if he does not merit to properly control his intake of alcohol or any other drug for that matter, Nasarosh, he becomes completely poor and empty. So when a person has the ability to properly use things like alcohol, and then one can lead a very successful, all-rounded life. And, the other hand, also, if you don't... But also sounds like not only can he lead a all-rounded life, but he will lead an exceptional life. Yeah. We are meant to engage on a proper level with alcohol on some level. So I remember reading there's a, there was a study, I think in the 50s or 60s. It was this you know, psychological study. And the ethnic group at the time, which these studies are not usually done nowadays because they often lead to certain racial discoveries or, or undertones which makes them unpopular, but there was a study done on, on alcoholism in different ethnic groups, and the ethnic group which had the lowest rate of alcohol of alcohol abuse was Orthodox Jews. And the theory by leading psychologists was because here's a group that doesn't condone binge drinking and getting wildly drunk, but also is not into telling does not tell people to abstain from alcohol. By having a culture 
which says let's indulge but with a certain sense of balance or control, you then have a healthy outlook. There's a similar idea, and I'm going to get straight to the pleasure, which I think when you say the word sensuality, most people's mind goes directly to, are they going to talk about it? Are they not going to talk about it? <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? So we'll talk about it. Is sex. Uh, human intimacy. The Talmud writes, I'm quoting from Tractate Nadarim, uh, page 20b, that, and this is specific for a man, if a man's wife desires him, and that doesn't just come from going to the gym, that comes from being emotionally sensitive, being compassionate and empathetic about one's wife's physical and emotional needs, if one creates such a relationship, and there is actually more of a stress in Judaism on a man taking this responsibility than a woman, then he will have children that are greater than the generation of Moses. It's a quote from the Talmud. It produces incredible, incredibly spiritually advanced children. So the act of sex can be a very holy one. However, if one views one's partner or wife not as a a, a, you know, a person just to be used for pleasure, but as a person to give to, as a person to be considerate for, and engaging in this act in which is the most intimate connection that a person can have is, in fact, really the only physical pleasure that you absolutely need another person for. Right. So if you were to translate into spiritual terms, that means it's an interaction, an interaction that should happen on multiple levels, not just a physical ex- exchange of pleasure, but a way to exchange emotional sensitivities, a way to be considerate, a way to really have a relationship with a person. It translates those things that can't necessarily be said into something that's a mutual experience. Right. So the take take home from that is the product of such a union will hopefully produce, as the Talmud writes, wonderful children. Wow. So this is a very powerful tool used when harnessed properly can have the most powerful spiritual results. And that is creating human beings of high spiritual caliber. Right. So again, and, and again, you know, beautifully said in terms of having what we'll call healthy sexual relationships, t- Torah Judaism says no way should you you abstain from 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 sexual activity. There's no there's no monkhood or things like that that remove you from this. And 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 the best and brightest in Torah Judaism are meant to reproduce. And in fact, usually those have the those are the ones that have the most kids, <laughs> right? And then it also says, obviously, you know, I, I assume we're, it says to do it in a way that that is. That is proper and 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 honorable and exciting and it's and it's it's mutually beneficial and I think that that concept of balance is is so critical and so powerful in Judaism and 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 I'll say difficult. You always find an interesting term: strike a balance. It never says balance a balance. You know, strike a balance. It, it, it's difficult. You got to strike. You have to have the proper aim to get that strike in where what's too much, what's too little. But certainly. The Torah is imploring us, no, this physical world is here. You have five senses. Let's go. Yeah. Now, I want to, I want to take this to a slightly new direction, and that is using the physical to enhance and magnify spirituality. And not only that, but also to fill in gaps, so to speak, for a person's deficiency. So if a person's going to be deficient, spiritually, using the physical to kind of plug in those holes and create a persona that can be more spiritually fine-tuned. So I'll, co- I'll quote a couple of sources, which will all lead us into, in, into this basic idea. Number one, the Talmud in Tractate Brachos on page 57b writes that there are three things which like calm a person or help restore a person mentally. Sound, music, mara, images, art, and reach, scent. Right? A person can use his, the senses 
you had a rough day and you you know you're, you you go to an art museum and that kind of relaxes you you have like a you go listen to some music you can mishiven daitel restore your mind and there are three things which expand a person's mind a nice house a beautiful wife beautiful spouse and beautiful objects so if one's goal in getting a nice house if one has the financial means to do so say look if I'm in a nice house, I'm in a better mood. I'm in a nice environment. So I'm not buying the house to make someone else je- somebody else jealous or to to create a certain sta- socioeconomic status. But I'm buying the nice house because I have har- I have archavas adas. It expands my mind. My mental expansiveness when I'm in a good environment. Then you're using the physical world to have this mental expansiveness, which is a powerful thing. Like you're literally able to think better. Like if you're studying in a, in a, in a basement with a leak. Uh, and like flickering fluorescent lights and, you know, peeling walls. Like it's just not a great environment. You're in a beautiful campus library with old wood and stuff. Like it helps you. It does. It, it does. But what I'm thinking is it can get to a place where it's so beautiful. I don't want to study anymore. <laughs> you know, I'm in Cancun in the, you know, in the suite at the thing. I don't really want to do any studying. You're right. But but let's say you're a person who just had a really intense semester. Right. And just hanging out in that beautiful environment will oh restore. So oh we have, my gosh. Right. So it restores the mind and also can expand the mind. And, and your point of needing to know how to apply it, you're right. It's going to be subjective for each person exactly how to do that. But those are tools that a person can use. And it gives a new perspective in, okay, why do I want a nice house? And, and by the way, it's sensory. It's not contemplation. It's literally sensory. Using your eyes, restoring your sight, having beautiful music to listen to, music that you enjoy, or uh, sights that, that, that are healthy for you. You know, because obviously we can say, well, that's, well, Rabbi, that's why I go home and binge on Netflix every night. Because, you know, you said it, Rabbi, sights, sounds, and, uh, you know, and popcorn. So, like, that's why, that's why I go home and watch eight episodes of uh, whatever the show is. The that, Price is Right. I don't think that's what's on Netflix these days. <laughs> but, yeah. Well, there's the 65 plus crowd. You know, you know so, so is that taking that too far? Because people would say that's restorative, but it's an unproductive restoration so you know that's also a balance you're right so uh, like getting back to what the talmud writes about wine any physical force can be used or abused it's just a question of if you have the proper focus right you can, okay you want to, you watch a youtube and it's inspiring and you want to get back to work so don't follow the youtube algorithm that is tricking you into pressing the next youtube just watch the youtube that's inspiring restores your take a little break and get back to it once you feel restored the trick is not to press that second youtube <laughs> that's the trick it's the second the third or the 18th which is when does it become a problem 43rd is a bit of an issue okay okay we can we can agree 43 is a bad number so I'll, I'll quote two similar sources. The Rambam writes in his introduction to the book of Avos that if a person has marashchora, which is some sort of depressive state or he's unhappy, so what he should do is he should listen to song, musical instruments, take walks in gardens. This is all a quote. He should look and walk through beautiful buildings, look at beautiful paintings and pictures, and this will expand his mind and take away the depression. So this is a person who's going through, not necessarily a clini- an episode of clinical depression, but a person who's unhappy. Look, I, I need to get out. I'm sorry, honey. I need to go for a walk by the river for a half hour, for an hour. And we'll come back and I'm not going to scream. And I'm not going to lose my control, you know, my self-control because I, I'm going to restore a certain mental state. So you're using physical pleasure and sensory pleasure to do that. The Talmud writes that the sage Rav would, would start his, sorry, the, the sage Rava would start his, his Talmudic lectures with a joke. Milsa dibdi like a like a light or laughing mm-hmm. type of idea. And the Tanya writes, 
the Rav of Liadi, the founder of the Chabad movement, writes that humor, this is what Rav was u- utilizing, humor is a way to get people to focus. It's a, it's, it's a way to get people engaged. Humor is important. Now, there's a lot of inappropriate comedy out there. A lot, a lot, a lot. Not familiar. <laughs> Not, Not familiar. familiar. Okay. But for this, I, I have this. I've had this from reliable sources. <laughs> but comedy is a great thing. Like, you know, you're, you're feeling really down and depressed and cynical and you listen to some great comedy. And it's like, yeah, that's, that's good. It's restorative. It's restorative because you can get back to work. And get back to work doesn't mean your day job. Get back to work means I'm trying to become productive in life. I'm trying to enjoy life. I'm trying to become something, good father, uh, g- good friend, good employee. You have to be in that. Got to take care of yourself. You got to be in that happy, productive mood. And then, and then you're able to sort of rise above that and restore yourself to that place. And I think that's why... And again, it was done, I think, with malicious intent. But I think that's why Google and Facebook and these places have these big campuses. You know, why would you go home? You can stay here. You know, they can take a little bit too far. But uh, if you haven't visited them yet, I recommend it because it is wild. Name your firstborn after our corporation. Exactly. I'll end off with one more source. The Talmud Attracted Brachos, uh, page 29a, describes... Uh, one of the high priests by the name of Yochanan who served for 80 years in the priesthood. I don't know if he was 80 years old or he was actually he was actually an active high priest for 80 years and he eventually became a heretic which is wow. like shocking and you know the Talmud like says like how could a person have such a productively spiritual life and then just like leave it all. Meaning he's he's at the pinnacle of Jewish service in the temple period. He is the not only is he one of the Kohanim one of the priests he is the epicenter of priesthood the one who does the most highest of services he, he was involved in that for 80 years and by the end of his life he became a heretic how can that be so the Ari writes that Yohanan as great as he was as profound or as his Torah study and insights were was a person who did not have a proper connection to his eating what he means by eating was physical pleasure so a person at that level who has you know, you know, achieved such a stature, is a person who should really be fine-tuning his physical pleasure to make sure that his physical pleasure is a way to enhance his spirituality. And if he is going to start pursuing it as an end rather than a means to an end, a person on that level is missing a component that is required of, of, of the, you know, the station or the office that he holds. So spiritually, there was, there, was, there was a problem in him. And as the Talmud writes, and I think this is really his understanding of the, of the Talmud, quoting the name of Abaye, that, that Yochanan had a problem with him from the beginning. There was something off with him. You know, he, he was presumably a giant, you know, of, of, of an intellect and, and this, you know, whatever influential person he was, but there was something incomplete about his spirituality. And it was this point that he, he was unable to strike that balance. Right. So we see so that the Judaism is not saying, don't be involved. Judaism is saying, be involved. And, Make sure to, I guess, for lack of a better term, strike that balance. Yeah.